Aj sad ponavljajte za mnom. Da nam Sarajevo da što više golova. Da nam Sarajevo da što više golova. We'll now go to Sarajevo in Bosnia-Herzegovina. Good evening, Sarajevo. May we have your votes, please? Hello, Sarajevo. We are hearing you. Sarajevo! Sarajevo Calling, a podcast on f***ing European affairs. Hello and welcome to Sarajevo Calling. My name is Aleksandar Brezar. I'm Jasmin Mijanovic. We're happy to have all of you back after a two-month hiatus. As we announced when the last episode aired sometime in September, the format and approach of the podcast has changed. The new format aims to give you a deeper understanding of the issues we dedicate each episode to. You'll notice that the topics we cover now involve a wider region and include breaking them down for audiences that might be unfamiliar with them. And I think more importantly, given, you know, as we announced that this is kind of an organic evolution from the original format and the original concept behind the podcast, we are keeping the name. Uh, we are keeping the name Sarajevo Calling because Sarajevo continues to call, except it calls a slightly wider region of the world. So that's that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, and I, like you said, at some point, everything is east of something. So we'll have more <laughs> of an eastern focus when it comes to Sarajevo Calling. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So we're hoping, um, as we announced previously, that uh, you know we're going to be dipping our toes further afield into Eastern Europe more broadly, possibly the Caucasus. We'll see where the East takes us, possibly Brighton Beach. Uh, we've we've talked about that as well. But I think the, the other big news that we should obviously discuss and acknowledge is that we have a new team member that I'm personally very excited about, but we're all very excited about. And this is the terrific journalist Una Haidari. She has an investigative piece that she has prepared for us, um, and that will be airing as a separate segment a little bit later on in this episode. Right. Well, welcome to Sarajevo Calling, Una. And we, we would also like to thank our friends at Are We Europe for their support in taking on the task of creating a new website for our program, soon to be live at sarajevocalling.com. Yeah, so uh, look out for that. It looks terrific so far from what I've seen. So we're really grateful for their support and their assistance in making this possible. And, uh, you know, as you can see, we're trying to grow the brand in every way possible. It's taking a little bit of time. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, but uh, we do, once again, really, really appreciate all of your patience, especially from the uh, Patreon subscribers. So we're hoping that this is something that you're going to be able to continue to support and stick with us uh, in whatever fashion, even if it's just, you know, obviously sharing these episodes, which we're always super, super grateful for. Hopefully you'll also like not just the new look, but also the new format. Yeah. Well, let's get on with today's mm-hmm. episode. In this one, we will focus on the ongoing dispute between North Macedonia and Bulgaria. The latter insists that Macedonian, the language spoken in North Macedonia, is in fact a dialect of Bulgarian and should be acknowledged as such before North Macedonia becomes an EU member. In fact, according to statements made by Bulgarian officials, Macedonian was wrongly attributed the status of a separate, standardized language when socialist Yugoslavia came to be during World War II, and that the EU cannot and should not import artificial communist concepts into its union. Now, this, in my opinion, might create a dangerous precedent and could allow others down the line to question the very identity of other European nations that might find themselves having to agree to significant compromises in order to achieve what others got only because they got there first. Yes, indeed. Uh, And obviously, for those who have been following this issue for quite some time, by which I mean sort of the the status and the, the path of North Macedonia towards EU accession, you know, you will recall, obviously, that there was a similar, although distinct, dispute that North Macedonia had with Greece, the the famed name dispute. So this is in some ways being seen by many regional analysts as an unfortunate evolution of that dispute, or perhaps again, a a kind of a related manifestation in, in that once again, North Macedonia is being blocked from continuing its EU accession path 
despite all of these major, major reform undertakings that it has engaged in, really substantive reform efforts that it has enacted, uh, it is being blocked on account of these kind of identity-based issues, as was the case with the Greek name dispute. So it's a very, very unfortunate situation for North Macedonia, but it's also a, a, a very, very significant regional story. So we thought with this new format, what better thing to do than to start with something that really cuts to the bone, as it were. Yeah, so let's see who Sarajevo calling is calling in this episode. <laughs> so Sarajevo calling is calling a really a good friend of ours, Dimitar Bechev. Dimitar Bechev is a uh, very, very well-known regional analyst, and he's just a good bloke. We spent a little bit of time a couple days ago with Dimitar speaking and having him explain to us the ins and outs of this new Bulgarian-Macedonian dispute. Yeah, so let's hear what uh, Dimitar top bloke Bechev had to say. <laughs> And the 12 points go to... Няма работа. Какво ще ви излезе името? Това име дето ви излязло. Идеално. А бие би спиш ли добре? Завиват ли те? Храниш ли се? Защото аз не подяволите Обичам тебе. Умира ми се. Добре, не боли. To Bulgaria. There's a sort of little neighborhood voting going on there. Okay, so today with us we also have a guest who's going to help us try and explain this issue in much greater detail. With us we have Dimitar Bechev and Yasmin, since the two of you are really closer friends, maybe you should take over the introductions. So Dimitar is a former neighbor. Uh, I think that's the most important thing to say about him. He's a really, really wonderful expert and analyst as of Southeastern Europe. He has written some incredibly important works, in particular his recent book on Russian policy in Southeastern Europe, foreign policy in Southeastern Europe, uh, a really seminal text. Uh, for those of you who have not gotten a copy yet, I highly recommend that you do. He's considered a real authority uh, on Bulgarian-Macedonian issues uh, in particular, and that is why we wanted to talk to him today. So, Dr. Dimitar Bechev, welcome to Sarajevo Calling. Oh, thanks for having me. Dr. Bechev, also uh, Yasmin's neighbor. See, things I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm using the neighbor thing a bit loosely. I guess it was about a 15-minute, 10-minute drive between our houses uh, up until recently. Exactly. I was about to say that, that in, in relative terms, in, in Europe, they've been far, far away in a different country, maybe. But <laughs> That's right. But in America, we're practically exactly. next door. So. <laughs> <laughs> but right now we're not calling America, right? I mean, you are in Oxford. Indeed, yeah, and it's not Oxford, North Carolina. It's um, Oxford full stop. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Oxford full stop, I like that. Let's start with a very straight question. What's the big hullabaloo between uh, Bulgaria and North Macedonia when it comes to the language? Where does it... Um, where does it come from? Well, it's been an issue that is rearing its head every so often. Um, and I don't know how much time we get have to go into the weeds, but to cut a long story short, Bulgaria doesn't recognize the existence of a separate Macedonian language. Uh, the official line is it's, it's just a dialect or, or a version of Bulgarian that has been codified in, in Yugoslavia after 1944. But essentially, it is the same language. Um, but I mean, like you, everyone knows, uh, there's this great definition of what, what is a language. Uh, it's a dialect with, with an army and a navy. And, and actually, as it happens, Macedonia does have a navy. It has a couple of patrol boats on Lake Ohrid. So it, 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 in that sense, it, it has its literature, it has its institutions and several generations of using standardized Macedonian. So it is a language from um, and th this defin definition, but it's not the way Bulgarian scholars, but more importantly, politicians look at it. Unfortunately, is this is this answer going to get you in trouble in your native Bulgaria? I'm kind of curious. Well, I've been really outspoken. <laughs> um, I don't um, carry any any favor. Uh, I, I let me use this opportunity in some kind of shameless self-promotion. We just co-authored this letter with a bunch of Bulgarian and uh, Macedonian colleagues 
um, addressing the issues of history and, and language and making the case that it shouldn't be at the forefront of government-to-government -government relations, but rather tackled over a longer period of time uh, in, in a much more relaxed uh, atmosphere and not be politicized. Um, and there, there, there is no one truth to, the, to this matter and any attempt to just impose a single understanding is really counterproductive. And I've been in trouble both in Sofia and Skopje uh, over the years, so that's a position I'm fully comfortable with. Those are the kinds of guests that we like to have on this program. Oh, absolutely. Let's pretend that Yasmin and I, for the sake of the argument, Bulgarians, convince us that you're right. What are your arguments? Well, the argument is that these are two languages that are totally um, mutually uh, understandable, so you, you don't need to learn Macedonian. I mean, Again, uh, maybe I'm not the, the right case, but it, it didn't take me that long to master the standardized version without having been at school a single day. When I go to Skopje, they'll think I'm somewhere from the east. Uh, and the way you get into difficulty is when you move uh, the register. If you are to discuss what kind of beer or coffee you're about to have, that's pretty much the difference between Latin American and Spanish Spanish. If you move into issues of government, economy, and so on and so forth, then the difference gets into Portuguese versus Spanish. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, very, very, very kind of straightforward. Um, and that's the Bulgarian case. And one more sophisticated Bulgarian argument, uh, and this is not really shared by many because it's not very, it's a bit arcane. Uh, there is a second version of Bulgarian language, which is used in, in the Banat, that's for your Southeast European studies nerds. There's a small Bulgarian Catholic community in in Romania, in that part of Banat. Uh, it uses a separate language, which is kind of far from standardized Bulgarian, and it's written in, in Latin as well. So you have Catholic Latin, but Bulgarian nonetheless. But um, the point being that you can have a single language with separate versions and so on and so forth. I don't really buy into that, but uh, there you have it. So theoretically speaking, Romanians could come over and s to the Bulgarians and say, hey guys, you know what? Actually, Bulgarian is Romanian. Well, yeah, you can have all kinds of those uh, permutations and uh, there is a separate historical conversation between Bulgarians and Romanians about the medieval age. But I think we, we need another episode to um, disentangle that and and it won't get politicized anytime soon. Um, so I, I won't be boring your, your listeners, but um, <laughs> in case you want to get into it, we, we certainly can. Right. You do have a Twitter account. Indeed. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, though, I mean, I, I think Sasha's questions have been kind of leading to this point, in particular the last one. And I think for those of us, perhaps, and I think still a good portion of our listeners are disproportionately interested in kind of the Western Balkans. I just wanted to ask you, though, could you give us a little bit more of a sense of why this issue matters in the context of Bulgarian politics? And, you know, how, how does it perhaps relate to kind of the broader issue of identity politics in Bulgaria after the end of the Cold War? That's a, that's a great question. It is, it is re really weird because typically this is not a salient question. It's not something that keeps a lot of people up at night. Um, if you look at any survey, this is not what uh, people vote on. Um, mm -hmm. But every now and then it comes into the forefront because uh, media, but also opinion makers have very strong views on it and, and people who form, form opinions. So there's no counter-narrative in Bulgaria. What, what is it about? Um, at the risk of sounding too academic, the real, real issue, and it's on both ends, to be honest, is primordialism. The assumption that people and their identities is the same and has been the same since thousands of years since really the, the Middle Ages when the Slavs settled. That there was a Bulgarian ethnicity slash nation that formed in, say, the 10th century with uh, Christianizations, uh, and Macedonia was part of it, and, and that's the end of the story. Uh, which, of course, if you look at identities, it's totally off. Um, this is not how it works. 
the situation in Ottoman Macedonia and with this goal and more was very different identity-wise to what we have now in the 21st century after the nation was formed and the Yugoslav period. Um, but again, the same applies to the Macedonian national narrative, which of course shares some common notes with the Bulgarian national narrative. Uh, it is really complicated. But uh, primordialism uh, is part and parcel, that there was a Macedonian nation, um, it formed in the 10th century, and everybody who happens to live in this geographic area of Macedonia across not just the Republic, but also in Northern Greece and Bulgaria and a few bits and pieces here and there, and happens to speak a Slavic uh, language, is ethnic Macedonian. Uh, and you see, it's very difficult to find a, a meaningful conversation uh, if you um, your conceptual starting point is like it's primordialist. And I think this is really, really the problem. Uh, hopefully, I mean, there are people who think otherwise. Um, you know, the Soros-Suite Western education has done some work in how we think about uh, identities, and, and, and thankfully so. And, and, and they, you, you can have uh, pretty much legitimate uh, points to make about the fact that this, this or that historical figure had a certain artic articulation of national identity doesn't implicate, that doesn't mean anything about uh, the Macedonians uh, of, of today. Uh, and this is a difficult point to digest by intellectual and political elites on both ends. Bulgarians are stuck in the past, uh, Macedonians had this presentism and, and they, many of them, not by far, by far not everyone, but many of them, uh, because of insecurity, because of contestation by not just Bulgaria, but also Greece, Serbia to some degree, are stuck into this primordial narrative and, uh, and feel vulnerable to the neighbors. Uh, but what is really important, going back to the Western Balkan question, to understand, this is a very a purely symbolic conversation. It's not about um, the threat of violence. It's not that those disputes will escalate into communal strife or people killing one another. I mean, they, they've been waged on newspapers and, and, and scholarly publications in the socialist period starting from the 1960s. And with the invention of the internet, they kind of spilled over uh, online. And, and that's, but it's, it's something that is very arcane to pretty much everybody else, including in, in, in former Yugoslavia and um, is uh, not threatening to erupt into some sort of a pan-Balkan uh, war. I remember reading in the early 90s when the Bosnian conflict was uh, in its peak that there will be a Macedonian follow-up. Uh, Macedonia will exploit and all the neighboring nations, uh, Greece, Bulgaria, Serbia, will be fighting uh, as during the Balkan Wars of the early 20th century which is, again, total misunderstanding. This is not what it is about, um, closing this parenthesis. Just to go back to something you mentioned, sort of, or touched upon, why do you think countries feel they need these romanticized versions of interpretations of history? Why is that necessary at all, compared to, say, a measured interpretation of history? Oh, this is how nationalism works. It's nothing about. It's nothing unique uh, to Bulgaria, Macedonia, North Macedonia, or any other Balkan country. Uh, primordialist understanding of nationalism is is the name of the game, particularly uh, in Eastern Europe, where ethno-nationalist, but also Germany, uh, where ethno-national as opposed to civic nationalism has been. Um, the, the, the norm. Uh, it's just that in democratic societies, uh, there is the plurality of, of narratives. Okay, you can have the official history, uh, say in France, although this is a civic notion, it is a civic nation, but you can have this idea of the Gauls and the French having this line, unbroken line of continuity. But there'll be uh, masses of academic historians problematizing nationhood, showing the process of construction, 
and, and evolution and, and, and um, addressing this issue in, in a more, how shall I say, analytical way. Uh, we are not quite there uh, in, in the Balkans, unfortunately. Um, and this Macedonian hypertrophed issue that, especially as we saw it in the Greek Macedonian dispute, which is tangential to what we have to discuss today, uh, is the ultimate proof. Um, the alternative, kind of more modernist or deconstructionist vision uh, analysis of, of national identity is not as uh, present in, in the public sphere. About that question, and, and we're sort of nearing the end of our time, but I wanted to give us a bigger sense of all of this conversation, everything that's happening in this conversation in concrete political terms. Could you just say a little bit, because you are so familiar with, I think, both Macedonian and, and Bulgarian politics, and you're also someone who's frequently consulted by European policymakers on regional issues. Do you have a sense of how this is playing out at the European level? To, to what extent do you think you know folks in Brussels are, are going to be concerned about this? Are they going to be involved in in trying to you know get some kind of agreement or some kind of quote unquote normalization of of relations on this issue? Even though I know in the past we have apparently had these agreements that have then not quite worked out in practice. But could you just kind of give us a sense of the political and, and, and policy dimensions of this, at least in the sort of short term? Well, I, I apologize, just veering too much into the, the world of concepts. I think there will be a compromise. <laughs> we have a right. series of compromises starting from 1999 when uh, the then prime ministers agreed on a formula calling the languages of both countries constitutional languages and moving forward signing all kinds of agreements. So whenever Sofia and Skopje sit together, they, anybody from Sofia doesn't have a problem signing a, a text in, in Macedonia, which in the 90s was an issue. Uh, so these are things are solvable with creative diplomacy. Now Chancellor Merkel has kind of stepped in into knocking heads together. My good feeling is there'll be some sort of a messy compromise. Um, going back into personal connections. Um, Boyko Borisov, Bulgaria's uh, prime minister, of whom you know, guys are uh, admirers. He, he early on uh, identified Zaev, Zoran Zaev, Macedonia's prime minister, not Macedonia, of course, uh, as uh, somebody he could do business with. And when Zaev was still in opposition, uh, walking the streets of Skopje, waging protests, Bulgaria will say, we got something out of it. Um, we say yes. Um, for, for instance, putting this historical conversation into the negotiation process and just give, give it to the gallery yeah, in Bulgaria, then Zaev might come back to Skopje and say, okay, we got what we wanted an opening of, of membership talks and 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 off we go um and that's my optimistic maybe naive uh, understanding that ultimately uh, bulgarian the bulgarian government won't be um holding this um this line too long uh, i i see the foreign minister in bulgaria being the most vocal uh, proponent of the hard line but what people even in Skopje don't appreciate is that she is not a decision maker in her own right she is an appointee of the right. prime minister who might choose to play the good cap and ultimately mm. uh, please the crowds in sofia but also turn out to be the the, the positive pragmatic troubleshooter uh, in Berlin and, and Brussels. Uh, so let's keep fingers crossed. But it won't resolve the issue. It, it might come back at some point. Uh, it's, it's, an, right. it's an evergreen. One, one last question. Uh, when it comes to North Macedonia, what is it like to be on the receiving end of things? I mean, that's what it looks like. Mm. First it was Greece, now it's Bulgaria. It's really frustrating. It, it is, I can understand and it's what people in, in, in Bulgaria, even those who have connections, family in North Macedonia, and sometimes they're the worst in the sense of putting the hard line. You know, we, we know our family histories, and this Macedonian nation is a Serbian construct, blah, blah. But, I mean, if you are stuck in Skopje, you've been a hostage of this Gruski regime since forever. Now there was an opening, 
Greece oh. was resolved uh, with the PRESP agreement. Changing the name of the country was difficult to swallow, but uh, we, we did swallow. And now somebody comes from the outside and says, you guys have to um, have to rewrite your history, um, which of course is easy to exploit by the wrong people in, in North Macedonia, those who don't want uh, any compromise. Uh, and even if you don't have strong views on the matter, you can understand that being bullied is not uh, some position to, to feel comfortable. And it's a real shame because at, at the risk of offending somebody there, I mean, some issues do need discussing, but um, putting in, in this kind of zero-sum my state versus your state format is, is the wrong way of, of going about it. Uh, that's the simple version. Indeed. Well, Dimitar, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. I think you've given us a lot more uh, color and a lot more texture uh, for this issue, I think especially for a lot of our listeners who are maybe encountering this conversation the first time. I also appreciate very personally you making the time because I know you have kids. I have kids. There's a soundscape of noise on both of our ends. <laughs> I don't have kids. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> That's right. It is. Here I am. <laughs> well, get on it. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah. Sure thing, buddy. <laughs> Thank you very much for well, taking the time. Keep the good time. work, and uh, thanks for having me once again. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And those 12 points goes to... На бугарскиот премиер Бојко Борисов му се обрати со емотивен занес. Ова земја е наша земја. Много добре. Е, поздраво за Много добре. Еди тука при нас, North Macedonia. North Macedonia, la Macedoine du Nord. 12 points. 12 points. Thank you very much. Yes, Mojam Vasis Voram za Macedonia. Thank you, Bosnia and Herzegovina. I'm in Skopje right now, which is always a delight because I can dig into some tavce gravce, a traditional local meal of beans baked in an earthenware casserole dish, or enjoy some excellent Macedonian wine somewhere in the old town. Except this time, I hope to speak to experts and citizens about the topic of language, or rather, why North Macedonia's ability to name its own language, to call it what they want, if you will, is being challenged by Bulgaria. So why is Macedonia being challenged in terms of its legitimacy of its language? I mean, I don't know, but probably this is a heritage of some previous times, previous uh, regimes and probably uh, some views that don't belong to the, to the 21st century, especially not belong to the, into this European context. I sat down with Petr Todorov in a bustling Skopje cafe. There are many amazing cafes here, and I was lucky to be able to visit them at a time when they weren't closed due to the pandemic. We sat outside, of course. Todorov is a historian. He's part of an initiative set up by the governments of North Macedonia and Bulgaria to iron out history-related issues between the two. Each country formed its own commission made up of local historians. They discuss things like the ethnic background of significant religious figures, like Saints Cyril and Methodius, or revolutionary leaders who might be significant to both countries. Can you explain what the work within the commission involves for you on like a day-to-day -day basis? Um, the committee uh, so far had 10 meetings, 10 conferences in two years, which is, uh, I think, a worldwide record when it comes to the when it comes to the to the uh, history of commissions dealing with history textbooks or the history historical uh, questions. Um, we have an approach of a chron more chronological approach. So we started with the, like the history textbooks starting from ancient times and then now we are ending with the, with the early modern, uh, modern period, which in this context will be the, uh, the, 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 the Ottoman Empire. So we try how to, to make these historical figures uh, in order not to be a, a, a symbol of, of conflict, but to, to make them as a symbol of, of, of good neighboring relationship. So this is what we are doing, this is what we are trying to, to achieve. But sometimes the problems with the politicization of the process 
is really uh, a stepping corner uh, 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 for, for us and for our work. Tadarev told me that he can't wrap his head around why the identity of a 21st century country or its entry into the EU is being challenged because of things that happened or didn't happen a long time ago. We have to ask probably those people who are challenging this, why they want to challenge the Macedonian language or why they want to challenge, I don't know, uh, historical traditions, historical interpretations. But for me personally, uh, I see no explanation to challenge the existence of a, of a language in the 21st century, especially when it comes to Europe in the context of EU integration. As far as I've understood, Bulgaria claims at least three things. First, that the ancestors of modern Macedonians spoke a language called Bulgarian until at least the late 19th century, according to some, and until World War II, according to others. Therefore, modern Macedonian should actually be considered a variant of Bulgarian. Second, since the first time Macedonian was declared an official language was in 1944 by local communist leaders, and the EU has, to quote them, defeated the ideology of communism, it should not allow communist ideology to enter the EU via North Macedonia. Bulgaria claims communism is an ideology that is foreign to the European Union. Third, they claim that since the ancestors of modern Macedonians were exclusively Bulgarian prior to the 20th century, modern Macedonians should now admit they are descended from Bulgarians. So if I understood correctly, uh, the general take of the majority of historians in Bulgaria is that the Macedonian historical identity and with it language was invented or solidified during the existence of Yugoslavia. Can you explain that? Yeah. Yes, that's true. Um, what is dominant in, in Bulgarian society, but this is also characteristic for all Balkan societies. Uh, this is the exclusive nationalist interpretation of the past and of the creation of the national identities. The creation of the Macedonian national identity and the, the ethnic Macedonians is not different from the others ethnic or national identity, not only in the region, but worldwide. Uh, so to explain that the ethnic identity of the Macedonia is created by a political decree in 1945 or, I don't know, 1934, doesn't have any background in, 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 in contemporary science that deals with the questions of group identities. What you're hearing is a celebration held in Skopje in 1942 in honor of the unification of the Bulgarian people. The buildings in the video have banners with swastikas on them. Some of the buildings are still up in the city center today, almost 80 years later. This period was probably the last time Skopje saw any Bulgarian political presence in the capital. In April 1941, the Nazi army occupied Yugoslavia, which today's North Macedonia was a part of. Bulgaria, an Axis ally at the time, was handed over the responsibility of providing civilian capacities to administer the region. The newscaster in the story says, One king, one nation, one country, celebrating the fact that the territory had been, in some interpretations, rightfully returned to Bulgaria. Macedonians might have initially accepted the Bulgarians as liberators, since they had been subject to increased attempts by the Serbia-dominated Kingdom of Yugoslavia to incorporate Macedonians into the wider Serbian identity, culturally and otherwise. Here again, we see an attempt by another regional power to claim Macedonians as their own. Bulgaria likes to bring up the World War II period. In fact, the current Bulgarian foreign minister said that all monuments referring to the Bulgarian period should remove the word fascist or occupier from them. The current defense minister of Bulgaria, Krasimir Karakuchanov, said in a radio interview for the Derek radio station in mid-October that it is regrettable and historically false to claim that Bulgaria occupied the territory of today's North Macedonia. He insists that Germany was the one who occupied North Macedonia in April 1941. He does not, however, make any mention of the Bulgarian presence in the country 
or its willingness to take over where Nazi Germany stopped. Karagachanov says that these plagues could be removed within 24 hours, just like North Macedonia did when Greece objected to highways, airports, or monuments being dedicated to historical figures they claimed were solely Greek and not Macedonian. The Greek and Thyron prime ministers were joined by EU representatives on the beach of Lake Prespa on the two countries' borders on Sunday to sign an agreement that sees the latter nation become the Republic of Northern Macedonia. After decades of confrontations with Greece over its name, the country that was previously known by many as the Republic of Macedonia agreed to change its name to North Macedonia. Greece has a northern territory, which is also called Macedonia, and saw the country's use of the name as a historical affront. It used its veto power to keep its northern neighbor from joining NATO. Sound familiar? When the agreement was signed, all the plagues in the country and on its borders including the country's own government institutions, had to be altered to reflect the change from the Republic of Macedonia to North Macedonia. Even the local wine, such as the cult classic Tugazayug, had to alter its labels from saying Macedonian to from North Macedonia. On the agenda today, the controversial placing of the label Macedonian on products originating from Greece. We know that businesses from North Macedonia were using, until the signing of the Prespa Agreement, the name Macedonian, but mainly they claimed that the products were coming from the Republic of Macedonia, which was then the constitutional name of the country. The Greek Prime Minister is expected to raise the issue of violations of the Prespa Agreement, mainly in the commercial arena. But for now, focuses on the symbolism of the trip as the two nations begin to mend what was a 27-year-long standoff. So Macedonians are not unfamiliar with the concept of changing plagues. However, the specific phrasing that Karakotanov used in the radio interview did not go over well, to say the least. We can also send in a regiment to help them remove it in 24 hours. The Prime Minister of North Macedonia, Zoran Zaev, tried to iron things out between the countries. After all, EU membership continues to be a much sought-after goal for Macedonian citizens. In his interview for the Bulgarian agency Bugnes, Zaev says that for North Macedonia and Bulgaria to maintain a good relationship, common figures should be seen as a thread that connects the two nations rather than dividing them. If some individual is more Macedonian than Bulgarian, and vice versa, it will still be a shared historical figure. People lived in this territory who felt Macedonian and spoke Macedonian. People lived here who felt Bulgarian and spoke Bulgarian. It is the duty of us politicians to unify our people after so many years spent apart, divided for decades by Yugoslavia, by those before Yugoslavia. This last statement, where Zayev says that the two nations were kept apart by Yugoslavia, as well as other regional powers, caused uproar in the country and those disagreeing with the Prime Minister took to the streets. The 
The protests, organized by the opposition party, the Marod de Pomene, accused Zaev of selling out the vital national interests of North Macedonia and called for his resignation. On social media and in Macedonian outlets, analysts and citizens also accused the Prime Minister of diminishing the importance of the Yugoslav period for Macedonians. After all, according to them, Macedonians were given the right to form their own nation by Yugoslavia and not by Bulgaria. I assume you all are as confused as I am, or at least have a lot of questions. To answer them, I called Bulgarian analyst Dejan Kryanov, a prominent dissenter to the Bulgarian communist regime in the 80s, who's also focused on the former Yugoslavia and Belarus. It's a non-issue politically. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I mean, you have to be a very uh, primitive kind of nationalist, 19th century kind, to try and base uh, political uh, judgments and decisions on that. Could you then describe the feeling in Bulgaria about this? Do you think this is something that, an issue that people are interested in generally? Common mm, history, yes. Language as a, a special topic, no. Mm -hmm. I mean, if anybody would uh, give it some serious thinking, they would reply much like I did. Uh, they don't know enough about the language to judge. On the contrary, uh, as to history, uh, people believe they do know and would have a strong opinion. Kuranov says, like many other analysts did too, that Bulgaria took up this issue mainly to win points at home. By doing this, uh, uh, I mean raising all those issues with Macedonia. The government is uh, uh, responding to a general nationalistic trend in, in uh, mass public opinion in Bulgaria. Kiranov is familiar with protest movements during the 1990s when Yugoslavia was falling apart, so I asked him about the Bulgarian perception of Yugoslavia. The general feeling in Bulgaria towards Yugoslavia uh, during communism was of uh, uh, envy and uh, jealousy. Once again, these guys did what we wanted to but could not achieve. It's because uh, Yugoslavia became very strong after uh, the end of World War II. Mm -hmm. mm, it uh, enlarged. Uh, then it uh, was uh, ostracized by Stalin. But um, that was a kind of moment of hope. But once again, they landed on their feet and they uh, developed marvelously uh, thanks to the imaginative uh, politics of uh, Josip Broz Tito. They started uh, producing a consumerist society which was what uh, in the heart of hearts of uh, most Bulgarians was the good society. Then we had a historical moment of Schadenfreude when uh, <laughs> Yugoslavia collapsed. Bulgaria and Yugoslavia were two neighboring communist countries throughout the Cold War. Yugoslavia broke from the Warsaw Pact and Soviet-supervised communism in 1948 and formed its own third-way international communist movement, called the Non-Aligned Movement. It included a lot of former colonies in Africa, as well as Jawaharlal Nehru's India, which gave the relatively small country, when compared to the Soviet Union, an outsized influence on global political affairs. I asked Kiryanov about how Bulgaria perceives its own communist period. Remember, 
in Brussels, Bulgaria insists that allowing for North Macedonia to claim their language as separate from Bulgarian is a result of communist ideology that should not be tolerated by the European Union. Again, I ask this because the Bulgarian government, when it was presenting its case in Brussels, insisted that the EU should not allow communist ideologies to enter the EU. Most people are in love with the communist past, not that they know much about it, but uh, mostly from hearsay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? Because for them it was a protected uh, society, no surprise society, mm-hmm. easy to live in society, provided you're servile to the state. However, after, after entering the European Union, things have changed a bit in the sense that, uh, again, it's a majority that would criticize heavily the European Union and uh, uh, sort of more or less uh, openly voice its admiration for uh, Russia, Putin, etc. Uh, I mean Russia meaning Putin, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Putin's Russia. As to Europe, uh, and of course Europe uh, is uh, non-Russia, it's non-communism, mm-hmm. therefore it's bad. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to voting, in quotes, mm-hmm. that is for really uh, having some kind of say in uh, whether Bulgaria should orient itself uh, towards Europe or continue be European. No, it's Europe. Why? because there is a feeling that there's more money to come from Europe. Kiranov is known for speaking his mind, like Dmitry Bechev, who you listened to earlier, and is blunt about the deficiencies of his government. Spurred by his frankness, I asked him about the controversial World War II period, which North Macedonia insists was an occupation and Bulgaria says was an attempt to free their brotherly nation. We were very happy in Bulgaria to let the Germans give us parts of uh, Macedonia. That was seen as a fulfillment of our nationalistic dream from the 18th, 19th century, unify all Bulgarians. Already when uh, the Bulgarian occupation forces occupied those parts of Macedonia, more or less all of Macedonia, First, they were met uh, not exactly with applause and uh, warm-heartedly. They were met with suspicion. Kiranov also explains that all countries are susceptible to nationalist ideas, especially in a day and age when far-right thinking is found in the mainstream. He says that North Macedonia, too, is guilty of grossly misrepresenting its history such as the period when the now-opposition Vemeroa de Pomenae party was in power and was widely accused of appropriating Greek history and symbols. My final question is, do you think the EU should play, because what's happening in this moment is the EU is playing a historical arbiter, or will perhaps be in the role of playing a historical arbiter, you know, saying, well, as a member state, Bulgaria has the right to halt the accession process for any reason it sees fit, and so on and so forth, and Macedonia will have to try to solve that, but they are getting involved into issues of identity and history. Well, it depends uh, on one's definition of arbiter. I'm afraid uh, the EU in this case is doing this arbitrage based on bureaucratic values mm-hmm. and not on uh, political, yeah. democratic or humanistic values. Bulgaria is a member, you are not a member, we stand by the member. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. How far can a member go? abusing its neighbor. Okay, so we are at the end of our first new episode uh, of the new format, so hopefully that worked for you. I thought it sounded really good. Uh, I thought the conversation with Dima was uh, really informative. I thought so at the time. I think so again. Uh, I thought Una's uh, first proper segment for us was really, really terrific, and I'm really, really excited about seeing her evolve this new concept and uh you know you don't have to listen to sasha and i constantly anymore so that's got to be an improvement okay let's be honest we went from two dudes talking to um something (laughs) hopefully better more interesting and 
less less grading in yes, any case yes well you know certainly fewer ums and vis-a-vis on my part so that's that's good right uh, and you also didn't mention Alexander Vucic in this episode, so that's that's one thing less on our Sarajevo calling bingo Indeed, card. Indeed, the, the other Alexander in my life. Oh, well, the, you know, one is never enough. <laughs> it's a long name. It's a long name, so you can have yeah. many versions of it. Look, the important thing is we got through the first episode. Uh, hopefully everyone really enjoyed it. Uh, we know you've been... You know, again, I do want to acknowledge that, that that there was a hiatus, there was a bit of a wait, and we're especially grateful for the folks who continue to support us financially uh, throughout this period. You know, we're, we're, we're hugely, hugely appreciative of that because we do know how difficult uh, this period right now is for so many folks financially, emotionally, familially. It's, it's a tough time all around. And, and the fact that you've been patient enough with us and, and have continued to support this concept and, and given us the space and time to evolve it is, is really no small thing. And, you know, we're going to do our best Indeed. We're going to do our best to roll out future episodes a little bit more quickly. We're still kind of experimenting this format. You're probably going to see some more evolution happen, you know, as we kind of just organically figure it out in the next few weeks and months. But hopefully it's going to be a fun ride for all of us and something that you're also going to be willing to stick around for. I hope so, too. That will be all for this episode of Sarajevo Calling. Bye. Bye. I said, for now, that is a move. We'll now go to Sarajevo in Bosnia Herzegovina. Good evening, Sarajevo. May we have your votes, please? Hello, Sarajevo. We are hearing you. Sarajevo. Sarajevo Calling, a podcast on f- East European Affairs.